0: Hello, everybody. This is Allie and Blair, the co-founders of Fertility Rally, and we are here to tell you a little bit about who we are, what we do, and how we can support you on your infertility journey.
1: So we wanted to let you know that Fertility Rally is the membership group that we created. It's the place we wish we had when we were in the thick of it. We offer support groups. We have private Facebook groups. We have tons of events, lots of videos, blog posts, so much content, we're starting to do IRL events as well, and we want to be there for you no matter where you are on your journey.
0: Yeah, our favorite part, we had no idea where this would go when we started it, and our favorite part about it is watching all of our members, which is like 300 plus at this point, connect, and create true lifelong friendships we have members that are meeting up in real life we have members that are supporting each other on instagram we have members that call each other best friends now and honestly like that is the most rewarding thing to see we had no idea it would go here and so we're just we're inviting you to join the rally fam
1: yeah it's such a great space it's a safe space we also have fun when we can so we would love for you to be a part of it check us out on fertilityrally.com and on Instagram at fertilityrally. Hope to see you guys soon. All right. Hey guys. So today we are doing a very special episode of Infertile AF, the Roe v. Wade episode. So I wanted to start with, I have a couple of really special guests on the show, but I wanted to start with kind of a recap of what happened one week ago today. So we're recording this on July 1st. It will come out a little bit later, sometime next week. But a week ago today on June 24th, 2022, in short, the U.S. Supreme Court officially reversed Roe v. Wade, declaring that the constitutional right to abortion, which has been upheld for nearly a half century, no longer exists. So I know this is not news to you, but I just wanted to kind of remind anybody, in case you're listening to this later, so this means that the abortion rights will be rolled back in nearly half of the states immediately with more restrictions likely to follow. And for all practical purposes, abortion will not be available in large swaths of the country. So I wanted to read a couple things that I found. You know, there was a lot of reactions, obviously, on social media and in the news. I wanted to read something from NPR before we get started with our guests, and then I'll introduce these two amazing women that are on the show today. But so NPR wrote that the dissenting judges said that the court decision means that young women today will come of age with fewer rights than their mothers and grandmothers. And the court's opinion means that from the very moment of fertilization, a woman has no rights to speak of. A state can force her to bring a pregnancy to term, even at the steepest personal and familial costs. And then a couple of other things, the mayor of Atlanta, Andre Dickens, added Make no mistake, this ruling will most grotesquely impact women of color and those who do not have the resources to travel to find safe and high-quality health care outside their communities where reproductive services are made illegal. I oppose this decision. And then Kristen Gillibrand said, when you take away someone's ability to make their own decisions about their own body, they are no longer a full citizen. They no longer have freedom bodily autonomy, or basic civil rights. That's the America that the Supreme Court's decision overturning Roe v. Wade just created. So lots of heavy shit. In short, so many of us in this infertility community have been asking, how does this affect IVF patients and the infertility community at large? So we're going to unpack all of this and so much more, but I wanted to introduce our guest today. We have Dr. (laughs) Dr. Sahar Wertheimer a reproductive endocrinologist and infertility specialist practicing in Los Angeles. She is super passionate about women's health and educating patients so they can be better self-advocates. And I love that. And then we also have my dear, dear friend, Abby feeder, who's the founder of Encircle fertility. She holds the hearts and hands of women and couples navigating the turbulent path to parenthood. She's also an infertility warrior. So she's going to talk about what she went through having her twins. So, all right, let's dive into it. All right. So Sahar, how does this, I mean, I know I just said a lot of different things, but overarching, how does this decision affect IVF patients and the infertility community at large? And Abby, feel free to jump into, I want this to be a conversation and, you know, we'll all three be talking, but let's start there.
2: Perfect.
0: Yeah. So I think for purposes of fertility and the IVF world. The question really is that this, the whole decision has really called into question. When does personhood start? When does, um, when do we have to, um, when do these rules of abortion, when does it start to, um, apply and what, if if life begins at fertilization, then what does that mean for, you know, our world where life begins at fertilization, but outside of the human body? What does that mean for embryos, creating embryos, and, um, discarding embryos, um, and, and things of that nature. Um, I can give more specific examples, mm-hmm. but I just wanted to give Abby a chance to, uh, yeah. to weigh in.
2: Yeah. I mean, and I just think what I love about the three of us talking is that I love having the medical side of things explained. And I think it's really important. And I also can't help, but feel from the community at large, the IVF community at large, infertility community at large, the emotional response is so visceral because we are fighting so hard for personhood that's all we want and the only reason we're doing this and like among everything else we have to deal with we now also have to worry about what the law will be once we may finally get to that stage and it just is such i mean a slap in the face doesn't you know justify doesn't doesn't give justice to the the feeling but it just i just want to say hands off to everyone and so mm-hmm. Like that, it's so important, I think, for a community to, to understand, like, yes, we are all in it together feeling that and we all need to understand what the medical side is.
0: Yeah, that's so well put. I really think if any community is working so hard to um, for personhood or to bring mm-hmm. personhood into the world, it's the infertility community. I absolutely agree. So Sahar,
1: you were saying before we started recording, you know, we were talking about abortion. The medical term for miscarriage is abortion. Is that Right.
0: It is. Yeah. So, um, so what does that mean in
1: regards with this law, this, you know, the overturning
0: I think that a lot of the confusion that I'm seeing, you know, on social media, a lot of the questions that I've been getting has all really been about what does the word abortion mean. And I've seen so many different um, people giving definitions of it, and it's actually interesting because I've even seen doctors giving differing opinions. And I think it really matters what we're talking about and in what context. But I would say that the the biggest problem is really that the me- medical and the legal language of um, surrounding abortion is very confusing. Mm-hmm. You know, um, ASRM actually just the American Society for Reproductive Medicine which is our kind of governing body mm-hmm. actually just put out a report going through different the trigger laws of different states and if that could potentially affect IVF or not and there they they discuss if you actually go into a lot of the laws, like I was clicking on every state, you know, and trying to read about it, it, the the, the major problem is that some of them define abortion as it relates to pregnancy, meaning a human actually has to have this embryo inside their uterus. And Mm -hmm. and some, the more problematic states, I think, um, to my knowledge, it was like Wyoming doesn't really define it that way. And so it makes it a little bit, more ambiguous and a little Mm -hmm. bit harder to say, we're only talking about emptying, you know, a pregnancy ongoing in a uterus, and maybe it could apply to embryos and petri dishes, for example. So the definition of abort.
2: Sorry. I just like, I just want to make sure we talk about like, that begs the question for me from a, I know that like, you're a doctor, not a lawyer. So I don't want you to get like in the weeds of the legal piece of it. And I'm sure it is a lot of weeds, but like, what do you do when you're a doctor in these States? Is it very widely known, like what your procedure or protocol will be based on this? Or do you feel like that gray area might actually end up helping a woman in the long run? Or do you feel like it'll still be totally black and white based on what that government, that state government decides it is?
0: I think that that, I think it's going to be gray, but not in a way that's going to help in a way that's going to hurt. And that's Mm -hmm. what I think um, most of um, physicians are fearing. It's that, you know, they're criminalizing abortion care providers. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, some two, two years in prison, you know, that's no small deal. (laughs) And, um, you know, doctors should not have to be thinking twice when they think that there is care that's in the best interest of a woman. So it's possible that we will have a few years of kind of ambiguity and uncertainty where it's a little bit harder and then maybe it gets a little bit better as we start outlining, you know, rules. But I I just, I can't imagine a world where the rules are that clear ever because Mm -hmm. it's not even for a doctor to sit down and, you know, outline all the possible scenarios, it's kind of impossible. That's why we do these four-year residency programs, you know, it's to come across almost anything that can come up as a situation and, and you see things that you never thought you would have seen. So I just, you know, I think that taking the control out of the doctor's hands really problematic.
1: Yeah. I'm so curious Sahar, too. Like what is the chatter been between you and your, you know, physician friends and your REI
0: friends? Like, what are you guys saying? I have yet to meet somebody who's happy about it. You know, I I know that some of these um, pro-life accounts have been popularizing videos by physicians or OBGYNs that are pro-life, but for my experience has mostly been um, that everyone I know, um, even people more conservative are pretty disheartened by this news um, for a lot of reasons. And I think that um, for the most part, you know, I think it ranges. We're we're, we're really worried about um, women who are gonna be in not, black and white situations where it could affect their life, their quality of life, their health, and yet they're not going to get the care that they need in a timely fashion. Mm-hmm. And then also for women who are going undergoing quote unquote elective abortions, I, I don't really like the word elective. You know, I think if a woman feels she needs to get an abortion, She's not doing it with a smile on her face. It's not incredibly elective for her. So, you know, and if there is somebody doing it that way, clearly that's not the type of abortion any of us would really agree with. Mm -hmm. But I think that, um, I think that, you know, to impose values on other women and to, is just to not really allow them to have their own self expression, to have their own, um, it's autonomy. taking away rights. It's the yeah. bodily yeah, autonomy, autonomy exactly. thing that really, autonomy.
1: I think strikes such a chord with people. It's like, and like Kristen Gillibrand said, you know, like you're not a citizen, like you're not, once they take away your ability to make your own decisions about your own body, you're not a full citizen. And that to me, and excuse my language, but that is so fucked up. I can't believe we're here right now. Like, how did this happen?
0: It's amazing to me also cuz you know as you think about other other areas in medicine we we give patients a lot of autonomy. We do a lot of counseling on risks and benefits and a lot of times you may have to provide a service you don't you don't have to. I'm saying you can always probably uh, decline service if you feel like it's immoral which I guess is kind of the issue at stake here, but there are definitely places in medicine where y- you don't think it's in the best interest of the patient, but the patient said, this is what I want. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, even in IV- in the IVF world, sometimes we have women with a lot of medical issues or women who are older mm-hmm. and they want to get pregnant very badly, you know, and and we'll have a full counseling session, why it may not be, you know, in their best health interests or refer them to maternal field medicine for, mm-hmm. you know, counseling. But at a certain point, there's going to be a gray area where if a, if a patient says, I I understand the risks, of my health, this is what I want. You know, it's kind of in a sense also they right. So. Right. Absolutely.
1: I think that's yeah. so comforting to know that that's a thing that, you know, even though you guys advise them and, you know, so many brilliant doctors out there who are giving this advice, it, it is at the end of the day, the patient's decision. And there's some comfort in that, but to think that yeah. that's being stripped away from us is terrifying to be honest. Mm-hmm. And I know Abby, yeah. you, you feel similarly.
2: I feel exactly the same. I mean, again, I think about, I, I. it's so ironic that these laws being put into effect are called trigger laws because they are so triggering, mm-hmm. <laughs> honestly. I mean, yeah. seriously, because I think about even the word abortion and how much weight it carries with it. Right. And like, if somebody even says abort mission, that's a trigger. And so yeah. the irony <laughs> between trigger, abort, it's just crazy. Yep. But I just think about the experience of sitting in a clinic as a fertility patient, like Dr. like Sahar saying, And she's explaining like your choices, right? And one of them in in the IVF world might be, well, sure, if you want, we could try to put an untested embryo in, but that might raise your chance of miscarriage. So we just wanna make sure that you wanna take that risk, right? And then you can say, well, let me think about it. Yes, I will take that risk. And now it's like, okay, well, when that happens, you say to your doctor, when that happens, what will that look like? And Mm -hmm. the doctor can say, well, we might have to do a DNC. We might have to give you the pill to take it to make the fetus aborted, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And and like, okay, what is that time frame? And to know and think that like oh, that if I'm sitting here in California talking to Sahar about that as my doctor, it's one course. And then someone in Mississippi who's experiencing the exact same thing, they might say, well, it might take, you know, as long as six months because we can't do a DNC. We can't give you the abortion pill. You're Mm -hmm. just going to have to write it out. You might still not, you know, your beta might never go back to zero for months after month after month. And they just have to sit through a completely different experience than somebody else, you know? Yeah. It's, it's not, it's so inhumane either. You're a human being with the right to make that decision. I was going to say, or you're not, but you are, you are, you know?
1: I think that's a good point in this conversation, Abby, if you don't mind sharing a bit about your story and what you went through, you know, obviously if anybody wants to hear the whole story, Abby was on my podcast like probably (laughs) like a year ago now, Um, but give us the broad strokes and why this is so, you know, hits home because if the laws were different when you were going through this, the outcome would have been very different for you. So So I don't want to take the, you tell us, you tell us in your own words.
2: I mean, I, they would have been different at every step of the way. Um, I had to use the abortion pill at one point from a very wanted pregnancy where it was not going to be viable and I opted not to do a DNC. And so I took my siprosol and it, you know, took several days to leave my body and, then I went into my doctor and it turned out it hadn't really fully left my body. So he had to use, I had to, I had to take more of my surprise misoprostol. Oh my God. I'm not saying it
0: right. Misoprostol. Yeah.
2: Misoprostol. Thank you. You know, vaginally to make it come a complete procedure basically. So I essentially had that abortion at that time via miscarriage that was just from an untested embryo. And that was my, I think, fourth IVF cycle.
1: And just to be clear, and, that was because it was not going to be a viable pregnancy, correct? Yes. Okay.
2: Yes. I was miscarrying. Um, we gave it a little time to see if it would happen naturally. It was taking a long time. So we decided to go that route because it was still pretty early. Um, I might not have had that same option had it been any later, but I had the choice and I had the information and I had the resources to make that decision. For myself mm-hmm. I could have opted in, in a different way. And then about a year later, um, I think that was my sixth transfer, I had an ectopic pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um it was really it's unclear whether it was ectopic or pregnancy of unknown origin, but uh I had an embryo that had implanted somewhere it was not supposed to. And uh, the course of treatment for that was to take methotrexate, which is a, a drug that basically stops cells from dividing within your body. And Sahar, please, if I'm like miss anything medical, you're doing great. So then I had to take methotrexate for my ectopic pregnancy, and that's given administered via a needle, like a needle shot. And it my beta was not going down to zero. And so, in order to try again to have another, you know, a successful pregnancy, your beta you have to start fresh and your beta has to go to zero. And I kept having to take methotrexate for like week after week I was bleeding for something like six or seven straight weeks Mm -hmm. until this pregnancy would leave my body and it wasn't leaving. And my beta was never coming back to zero. And so again, I can't imagine that was with methotrexate being administered and I still wasn't able to, you know, release the pregnancy. And ultimately I did a hysteroscopy, and we can get into that later and that took care of it. But um, we
1: we talk about this infertility rally group all the time is like the distinct hell. And I'd love to hear Sahar, your opinion on this too, that distinct hell of waiting to be unpregnant after a loss so that you can yeah. move forward and try to get pregnant again. Like mm-hmm. that waiting to get unpregnant is so, I think, only people that have gone through that understand how torturous that is. Yeah.
2: And, yeah, well, you actually, know, and this law it, makes it so that that torture is even longer because there's nothing right. you can do, right? If these right. affect you, that to do it, to make it better.
0: Yeah. And I want to just add on to that. So, you know, you had gone, you had asked me, you know, what is, how do we define abortion in our mm-hmm. medical world? And I think technically abort- aborting a pregnancy is anything that would stop a pregnancy. It doesn't always mean that the pregnancy has to be viable in the mm-hmm. medical world for mm-hmm. you to be aborting a pregnancy. And so a lot of gray areas that just are coming to mind as Abby's speaking, for example, she she mentioned that it wasn't a cleric topic. <clears throat> it was a pregnancy of unknown location. I mean, that is like bread and butter in our field. We have so many times where we have women and we're not identifying a pregnancy that's at the appropriate gestational age, but yet it's not clearly in the tube, but the hormone is going up. Like at what point are we going to say, okay, this is no longer viable. You know, every minute, if it's ectopic really could be, could be dangerous to the woman's life. I mean, every OBGYN will give you a story of when the beta was only Thirteen, and they had a ruptured ectopic. You know, so it's it's really very gray, and I think that that's you know incredibly worrisome. Yeah. Um, another example that you know you you had mentioned wanting to be unpregnant. Exactly, like not only is it going to kind of prolong the care, but it's going to prolong the determination, Like until we make that determination of when is this pregnancy no longer viable, that I think is going to be affected, and mm-hmm. that's going to be you know a lot of legal jargon that needs to be deciphered and defended. And it's, it's just going to be, it's going to be make another barrier in, right. for women. Facing and just to
1: children. be clear, like if an ectopic happens, I mean, not in every case, obviously, but you could die, right? Like that could cause death. Is that right?
0: Yes, absolutely. In an ectopic pregnancy, the worry is, I mean, an ectopic pregnancy, just to kind of back up and give some definitions, mm-hmm. an ectopic Thank pregnancy you. is when a pregnancy does not implant in the uterus, but rather implants outside the uterus. It could be, you know, the cervix is very rare. The ovary is very rare. The most common place is the fallopian tube. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that pregnancy grows inside the fallopian tube, it could um, rupture the tube, causing internal bleeding, which is life-threatening to the mother. In you know, uh, 21st century America, I'd like to say that it's very unlikely that somebody would die from an ectopic because we are so good at detecting them early and getting the treatment they need. Maybe this is going to affect that.
1: But and gone I untreated, I mean, you right, guys are exactly. doing an amazing job treating it. But if we're not right. able to treat it anymore, exactly. that's the issue, right? Yes.
0: Yes. Okay. And and mine was not
2: painful, but from what I understand, they can be excruciatingly painful. Oh, very very painful.
0: Just, yeah. Yeah, like yes. that's a
2: person just you know ride that out. Yeah. This makes no sense.
0: Yeah. I, I, you know, to be honest with you, I don't think that that's. I I, I ultimately think that that is going to be resolved in a way where um we are going to be um. There, there's going to have to be clear legislator that allows for ectopic pregnancies to be dealt with the way that they're supposed to be dealt with. Uh-huh. The problem is that right now it's just not so clear. I've, I've gone into, again, I've gone into a bunch of different States laws and some of them do define ectopic pregnancies and that they can be dealt with. And some just don't. So right. they just say, if it's not a viable pregnancy or if it's life-threatening, and then that kind of leads these terms that need to be defined in what situations that's where the um, problems are arising. Right. So Abby, there's more to yeah. your story,
1: right? Yes. Can you talk yes. a little bit more about what else ha- happened?
2: Yes. So after my eighth round of IVF, um, we were basically gonna gonna move on from this procedure. It was like our last one, Hail Mary. And so we put three embryos in, untested. And after ten, like I don't know, twenty something embryos hadn't tested. Embryos hadn't worked all three of these embryos implanted in me Mm -hmm. and all three were growing and all three had heartbeats. And so we were faced with the excruciating decision to terminate one of the three pregnancies. And it's a horrible decision that I don't wish on anyone. But again, I had access to incredible healthcare psychologists, if I needed a supportive family, I didn't have to worry about what the government might do to me Mm -hmm. or like scour the internet, the black market internet for a doctor that might help. But ultimately I did a termination for medical reasons. Mm -hmm. And in those cases, of course, you can't do a DNC because I was carrying two other babies and it was told my, my statistics were given to me at the, I was going to be delivering them at the age of 40. And what my life, you know, what the threat to my life would be, what the threat to the other baby's lives would be if I didn't terminate the third pregnancy. And so for me, it was a no brainer that I had the quote unquote luxury of making that decision. And I just don't know. I was, I was already a wreck. I had been, this was like the most wanted pregnancy ever. And it's how it got me to my angel family that I have now but I don't know. I would have been even more of a mess every single day of that pregnancy, wondering if I was going to die or, or one of the, or two of the, or three of the babies were going to die. I don't yeah. know why a woman should have to be forced to make that, to, to live that kind of pregnant life.
0: Right. Right.
1: Absolutely. You know? Thank God you had that choice. I'd love to hear a little bit more about, you know, the different types of you know, like ending a pregnancy, like the pill, we talked a little bit about methotrexate, DNC, like, will that be affected as well?
0: Uh, yeah, absolutely. A DNC will be affected. So methotrexate is not a um, medication that we typically give for terminating a pregnancy. It's only used in the case of an ectopic pregnancy. Gotcha. Okay. Um, Thank you for making
1: but, that distinction.
0: Yeah, no problem. But for an intrauterine pregnancy um, that we're trying to abort, um, if you, there's basically three ways of, of doing it. One is, you know, just expected management, letting somebody expectant management, letting somebody kind of ride it out. And when, um, if it's a miscarriage pending, like that's going to be happening, just allowing it to happen on its own. And then there's two interventions. One is a pill. Um, so you can use, um, misoprostol, which Abby had mentioned. um, and that basically will cause the uterus to contract and expel the pregnancy. There's actually another medication that that the ideal way to do that would be to take Mifepristone prior to the mesoprostol. um, And that has a much better success rate of expelling the pregnancy. The problem is that Mifepristone is most states will only allow it to be given in person and not just prescribed by your doctor. So you actually have to go to the clinic and pick it up and then it has to be administered in front of like a witness or something like that. So it could make it Mm -hmm. that that's like an access to care even right now um, in states that do allow abortion care. And that's something that I think legislators try legislature is trying to kind of, um, make easier, more, make more accessible. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's, that's the pill you kind of, you take the pill, you, you wait out some uterine contractions and heavy bleeding on your own in the privacy of your home or whatever it is. Um, and then, um, most of the time that resolves the pregnancy and you're done. Sometimes you might have continued bleeding and need to go into your doctor, just do an ultrasound make sure the lining looks thin and if it doesn't you might need more intervention um, the second way is surgical management and that truly actually it's I should say procedural because you up until 13 weeks some of them could be done in the office using a um, device called an MVA a manual vacuum aspirator and that basically suctions the pregnancy out under local anesthesia or you can go into an operating room and do a suction DNC um, which is um, uses like a, a suction catheter basically and then and if the pregnancy is further along, like um, second trimester um, or late second trimester, you would need, the surgical management would be a dilation and evacuation, a DNE, where they actually have to use bigger tools to mm-hmm. kind of dismember the fetus and bring out the parts. Mm-hmm.
1: So is there any validity to what's going around on social media right now, where people are like, stock up on the abortion pill, here's where you can get it with links to like different online pharmacies and places? Like, is that something as a doctor that you would encourage people to do, or is it not valid or you like, know, what's your thoughts on that?
0: It's it's really hard for me. I'm like really trying to like get to the root of the problems. So I think there's a lot of hysteria on both um, sides of the spectrum. I think there's some sensationalization happen, happening, but I I, I don't think it's, it's, I don't think it's truly unfounded. I mean, I think that if we're going to be banning abortions, then the next step very realistically could be that, you know, misoprostol is not, being dispensed in, in some of these states. So, um, it's certainly possible. I, I, I don't know that I'd, for somebody who's not pregnant yet, I don't know that you need to be rushing to get it, um, as much as, um, you know, working on better contraception and things like that. But for women who are going to end up needing abortions, I'm sure sh- I, I have to imagine that there's going to be I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm misspeaking. I think that's the problem. There's just so uncertainty. Right. I would hope that they would be have access to the pill if they needed
1: it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, real talk, I clicked on some of the links. Cause I was like, do I need this shit for like mm-hmm. friends or people that oh, me might, too. you know, people in <laughs> fertility rally? Like I was like, do I need to find, and I didn't have, I didn't follow through enough to actually, you know, figure but it didn't seem easy to, to find but I was like, do I need to stockpile of this? Like, what if people in fertility rally, or God forbid, my daughter when she's older, and you know, like things are getting worse and worse? Mm. Like, I, I don't know if I'm buying into the hysteria of it all, but I'm sure I'm not alone. Yeah, in
0: that. I don't, I don't know either. I think that in the next, I, I think that the immediate problem is probably going to be the next few years, while we're just having, uh, maybe it'll be even quicker than that. While there's just kind of a, a lot of defining that needs to happen, and then once, once we know what to expect, right? Like, then if you're in one of those. Um, states that's banning abortions, then you kind of have can know how to prepare yourself better. But I think the immediate future is, is going to be the scariest. Right.
2: Abby, can I, can I know. Can I ask a question? Sorry, yeah, I was going to say,
1: Abby, yeah. I think you have a question about hysteroscopy. Is that what you I were going to? I do. Okay. Yeah.
2: Like I, I was just thinking about, so when I had my ectopic um, and I took the methotrexate and it wasn't working, what ended up my, my beta was getting lower and lower, but it wasn't going down to zero. And so my doctor did a hysteroscopy just to see what was going on. And it, it turned out to be like a sack of hormones that had been left over like of HCG from the pregnancy that my body just was not releasing. And so she was able to essentially pull it out during hysteroscopy back up, back up my beta down to zero. Mm-hmm. So like what happens I guess, how do you, I don't know the right way to phrase this. Is that going to be affected?
0: Able, like- yeah.
2: Like, is that going to be affected? And obviously as a doctor, there's an oath, you're not going to do anything unethical, but like if a hysteroscopy is kind of could do something like that, is that any way that that could be used to a woman's advantage who needs some kind of early, early care?
0: So is, I think the question is, are, is hysteroscopy but like can you terminate
2: the, a yeah, preg- Can you terminate a pregnancy that's super early from a with hysteroscopy? a hysteroscopy? Yes,
0: certainly. If you did a hysteroscopy, you would dis- you could disrupt a pregnancy and re- and remove it that way. It's not going to be the most efficient way to do it. I don't know why a hysteroscopy would be allowed as a loophole versus mm-hmm. a suction mm-hmm. DNC. I just don't. I don't know how that would be okay. Yeah. So
2: you know so you're saying even in the states in, in the states where this is highly affected you think even hysteroscopy is also illegal
0: no 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 i just don't think you oh, can oh, use a hysteroscopy oh. for an abortion oh, it, meaning it, like yeah. i don't think there's going to be a scenario where a legal clinic is going to say okay come in we won't do a pregnancy test right. we won't you mm-hmm, know we won't know mm-hmm. if you're pregnant or not we're just going to do got a hysteroscopy it. and accidentally um disrupt your pregnancy i don't think that's going to happen okay. because don't forget there's lawsuits in the other direction what about the highly desired pregnancies that are going to come after the doctor right. and say, you you know, that's what we deal with right now. Right. God forbid doing a hysteroscopy on somebody who could be an early pregnancy.
1: Yes. Mm. I have another question and this may be more of a legal question. So correct me if, if it's not something you feel comfortable speaking to, but you know, this whole thing about how these laws are designed to protect life at fertilization and to protect embryos. How does this affect the overturning? How does that affect freezing embryos, testing embryos? creating embryos, limiting the number created, thawing, transfers like all that stuff. I know there's a lot yeah. there, but how, what what can you speak to in yeah, terms that's, of all that's that? Really I think that's something our community is very concerned about as well.
0: Yeah, I was going to say I think that's really the crux of the issue for the fertility community. Um, yep. you know, if we're saying that life begins at fertilization and we're worried about embryos even outside the body, then um, then absolutely, you know, so as Abby had kind of alluded to with her um, story, you know, one of the ways that we, the reason why IVF works so well is because we're statistically increasing the chances of finding the normal embryo, right? right. We're trying to find it sooner and implants it sooner. And instead of a woman going through multiple cycles with the abnormal genetic embryos, we're, we're, we're getting that needle in the haystack. If we're not a succinct way to describe it. Thank you for saying (laughs) that it is. Thank you. So um, if, if we're, you know, going to be limited on how many embryos we can create, because we're going to be worried about discarding them afterwards, Mm -hmm. or if we're going to be worried about how many we can put in um, you know, to be honest, putting in multiple embryos is not as common of a practice anymore unless you really have been through something like what Abby's been through multiple mm-hmm. implantations that failed but you know in those scenarios like what do you do you know mm-hmm. you have to have that option of being able to selectively reduce the pregnancy those are going to be i think the major issues if you want to just fertilize one embryo at a time implant it see if it works then go and and you know fertilize the next egg and grow that out to, I mean, we'll, we'll be here all day and don't, not even to mention the, the considerable expense that, you know, is already a problem in America. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, fertility, fertility treatment is not well covered at all. And that's already a hurdle. And then to add this is just going to, is going to really make it astronomical.
2: Well, I'm just thinking like what, you know, the same doesn't apply, does the same apply to eggs and like, pretend the like you said, pretend the cost isn't a factor. Would it make more, legal sense to freeze eggs and sperm separately as opposed to freezing embryos for a couple, that's trying to do some kind of fertility preservation.
0: Well, I I think that's the question that's kind of, um, at hand is, are we going to be prevented from freezing Mm -hmm. embryos, Mm -hmm. you know, unless they're immediately going to be used.
1: Right. Yeah. One of our members the other night was like, does that mean I have to use, you know, there's extra embryos. Do I need to implant like transfer all of those? Like what, you know, exactly. can, we, can we discard I them? Imagine. I think it's such a gray area. It's scary. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I can't imagine a situation where they literally force you to implant the embryos. I just cannot imagine that. I mean, at case. this rate with this crazy, <laughs> right. I right. That's what I'm I never say Never like nothing's off the table. <laughs> right. No,
2: but I mean, they might, they could force some kind of like mass discarding at a clinic where there's frozen embryos, where they're like, you cannot, although no, they can't discard them. Sorry. I'm, I'm just really like processing in real time. But like if somebody has 12 embryos and they're just sitting in storage for year after year after year. Right. Like what is the government of that state gonna do with them? Because that's not like this is again back to the gray area. But I will say some of the questions we got on Instagram were like, what do I do with my embryos? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Do I so hide them? Do I secretly put them somewhere? You know, right. that's yeah. what people are really wanting to know.
0: Right. I, I, yeah, I've been getting that question a lot. And I've been seeing a lot of people addressing how to uh, transfer embryos. You know, I don't think that states are going to go and start destroying people's embryos because that's the whole that's the whole problem, okay. right? They don't want to destroy the embryo. So I, I I don't know why you would. Go transferring your embryos unless you wanted to discard them or unless you wanted to transfer more than one in a state that will allow you to do a reduction. So, I I don't understand, I'm not fully understanding, and I've been trying, I don't know, I'm waiting for someone to explain it to me why we're so worried about transferring embryos. I think people just have a general mistrust of um, policy and, and state governments and kind of just want their embryos out of those states. But I can't really think of a reason other than those to transfer embryos. Well, My
1: understanding, and maybe existing I'm wrong embryos. was that maybe people just wanted to switch clinics to go to a, you know, a different state right. where the laws were different right. or where this right. wasn't illegal. That was my understanding. Right. That's why they would transfer the embryos because they wanted to just go to a different clinic entirely. Well,
0: existing, in, existing embryos, I would imagine that, you know, in, even in these restrictive states, they're going to allow you to implant. I mean, you already, if you've already tested them, especially I, I can, ima- I don't think there's going to be any barriers to getting pregnant. I mean, they're already existing. They're already in the freezer. I think
2: it would be counterintuitive to force anyone to get rid of them for any reason. Right. That's I, that's think that that,
0: I think that I think the problem is going to be the opposite. They're not going to let you discard them. So you're just going to end up paying storage for the rest of your life. I mean, that's mm-hmm. for the already existing embryos, you know, for people who are yet to create them, I, that's, that's kind of where for me, the um, ambiguity is.
1: Yeah. I mean, I was thinking also, and again, maybe I'm wrong, but people wanted to, you know, go to a clinic where if they did, it wasn't necessarily about the embryos. It was like, if they got pregnant and then something went wrong, would they still have their rights? Yeah.
0: Yeah. So that's, 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 I can, I can understand that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we could talk about this all day and there's so many unknowns and, you know, I so appreciate both of your thoughts on this and, you know, the medical side of it too. Was there anything on social Abby that we didn't, address. The one thing
2: that we were just about to get to was like traveling while pregnant. What if something happens to me? That was literally the question traveling while pregnant. What if something happens to me? And I assume you will have to be governed by whatever state you're traveling
0: in. Yeah. That resonates. You know, I can see how that could be an issue. And, um, Mm -hmm. especially because if God forbid something were to happen to a pregnant woman, right. She, she finds something out about the fetus. She, her medical, health deteriorates, she starts bleeding. I don't know, something like that. I mean, it could, I I like to, I like to just make this point very clear, right? Pregnancy at its best is still dangerous to a woman. I mean, it's, it comes at considerable risk, health, life, even, even in the best case scenario, once the pregnancy is adding further risk, right? What are we going to ship her back to the state she came from so she can take care of it? It's just, it's scary.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. I think the last thing that, you know, we can talk about, and again, maybe we can reconvene as things are uncovered and, you know, more things are come to light and are decided and all that stuff. I'd love to do a follow-up at some point, but I think the question for both of you that I have is what, what do we do now? What can we do? I'm going to put many resources in the show notes of this episode so people can look there where to donate, you know, who to call, all that stuff. But in both of your opinions, what, where do we go from here?
2: In general, in life right now, I'm in a very fight or flight kind of zone. I'm just feeling really defeated by the state of the government right now. And part of me wants to stay and fight my hardest and do everything I can for my daughter and her daughters and all the amazing women and girls who I know and part of me wants to like move to a farm in Italy and milk a cow and Mm -hmm. never come back. So I'm not in the best frame of mind to say what we can do, but what I will say is that I deeply appreciate the incredible team of people on social media. These are the reasons I love social media who are breaking this down day by day and Mm -hmm. explaining the piece, each piece to them that feels most important because it's just such a great way to educate, you know, when there's a a law that's being passed in a particular state, like I do get on the phone or text or social to the people who I know in that state to make a difference. And I feel that that's doing something.
0: Mm -hmm. I I would agree, you know, like in Nebraska, they almost passed a um, personhood, bill and the, it got voted against. So I think that the most important thing that we can do right now is pay attention to our own states, especially if you're in one of the states that's banning abortions, legislature, and how you can take action and how you can um, use your voice. And that's probably the most important thing we can do right now. Mm-hmm. I would refer everybody to ASRM. Mm-hmm. Um, the the website has um, a lot of different resources and how you can advocate for you and your state.
1: Yeah. And I would just add, you know, keeping these conversations going, keeping sharing, you know, keep sharing our knowledge. There's so much about this that I personally don't know and I don't understand. So I appreciate, you know, the, especially the medical community, like you said, Abby, all the wonderful people on social media who are like here, you know, let's break it down. You know, what does this mean? X, Y, and Z. And who are taking the time to do that? Because I think knowledge obviously is power. And as women, we're so fucking powerful when we band together, so I just have so much respect for both of you and, you know, everybody who's listening to this, who obviously gives a shit about this, this issue, you know, yeah. so thanks to everybody yeah. for listening. And Allie, thank, thank you,
2: you because yeah, yeah. you are doing such a service to this community no, I'm all cutting that out every day. I'm
1: cutting that out, Abby. No,
2: <laughs>
0: don't cut it out. Do not I'm cut cutting that it out, editor. Is, stop it. Just, you know, yes. educating no, people not, is...
1: I'm not fishing. I really do. Truly. <laughs> I, I'm what? so thankful what? for both of your, your time oh. and like... There's, like I said, there's so much I still have yet to learn and I'm learning something new every day about everything. So I just think this is important to have these talks.
0: Yeah, totally agree. Thank you for having us. Of
1: course. All right. Thanks everybody for listening. Check out the show notes and Instagram for more resources and what we can do. And we'll just
2: keep this conversation going and thank you guys for listening.